Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show with your host, Ira Royal. Using financial literacy to inspire, motivate, and empower people to set and achieve goals in all aspects of life. Join us every Thursday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Cat Builder Network. To be a guest or for more information, go to italkcredit.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Italk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. Here we go again, another Saturday, I mean another um, Thursday, bringing you real information in a very real way. Thank you for joining the show and just participating. We got a good one today. You know, this show is all about you, about inspiring you, motivating you, informing you, so you can make smart financial decisions. Every week we're here and we have individuals from banks, um, organizations that provide alternative lending options. We got youth empowerment programs. We're bringing you something every week to say, hey, this is what's going on in the community. This is how you can achieve your goals, and here are the resources for you. So, again, welcome to the show. Today we're going to do something new. we got a segment called Talk About It. I'm going to bring on two individuals who went through the home buying purchasing process. They purchased homes. Um, they had good experiences or, or their own experiences, and they're going to talk to you a little bit about that process. Um, give you some information on what they wish they would have known was going into it and what they learned from it. And hopefully the information that you hear, you can take that, kind of build upon it and make your own, you know, solid decision-making off of that. You know, maybe not make some of the mistakes they did or follow in their footsteps. Whatever way, this information is for you to gather and for you to use it as you choose. So, again, welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show. On the Cat Builder Network, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Mr. Senyo. He's going to talk to us about his home purchasing process and what he learned from it. We thank you for joining the show. We'll be right back. From Pasadena to Medina, bet big, get in between you then. Pizza yeah, prognosis, doses, right. blends and bends like Twizzlers. Biggest fit to hurt, what's under that skirt? Slow down, son, we killin' Who them with octane, got them gassed up, about to get blasted uh-huh. up, son. The last one word the mother, brother, listen. I seen it when he kissed him at the wake, made his body sick. Woo! The high guy is 850, I smoke shit, rap terror, four chrome and terror. Like Two five by the liberals, the fifth is conspicuous. Bad boy slipped to 95, ridiculous right. My rap lines is like landmines One step kaboom, black suit fills the room To whom it may concern, junior mafia is the click Act up, I have my honey total bustle That's
Welcome back to the I Talk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. Um, you know, I'm really excited about today's show. First and foremost, we're going to have a lot of good information for you on the home purchasing process. We're going to celebrate the life of Mr. Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls. Um, we're going to talk to Miss Deanna Turner from iMortgage, known as the Loan Barbie. She's going to give us her perspective, you know, the official perspective, per se, on the home purchasing process. going to go through pre-qualification, searching for a home, um, PMI insurance, anything you can think of that's dealing with that mortgage lending process. She's going to come on and talk to us about it. So I'm excited. Right now, we're going to bring on Mr. Senyo to the show. Senyo, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you perfectly, sir. You doing all right today? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. No, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Anytime somebody's willing to come forward and share their experiences and, you know, give them some type of guidance on what you would have done or what you did do to help another individual, that's always positive. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day today. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess guess, uh, first and foremost, tell us just a little bit about yourself real quickly, and then we can go into your experience, Matt. Yeah, so um, I guess I would be considered a millennial on the front end. Um, I'm 31 years old, live in Charlotte, North Carolina, grew up in North Carolina, went to uh, college in North Carolina, moved away for a little bit, Um, and then moved to Charlotte maybe about 2011. And then from there, I've just been running my whole life ever since college. And it just got to a point where I, was, I got tired of paying rent to somebody else. And then, you know, I've lived in some really up-and-coming areas of Charlotte with, you know, you have all the fancy amenities, the pools, the gyms, the walkability. But at the end of the day, when you want to build wealth and equity, it was time for me to buy my first home. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's one of the, mm-hmm. you know, the for most people, the largest asset they will have in their portfolio is their home, right? So I definitely understand yeah. what you're saying. So kind of talk to me about where did you even begin? Just go through your experience. Did you look online? Did you have a friend? Where did you even start? Yeah, so um, obviously there's many different factors that, that, first people to buy their first home. For me, um, I think for a lot of people, it all depends on where you work. And for me, I wanted something that was very close to work. But at the same time, you know, as many people, you know, jobs change. You could move to a different part of town. You move to a different state, different cities. So you really want to be careful as to where you, you know, make – I guess settle your roots or your first roots. So I just did a lot of research about different zip codes. Um, I currently do not have any children, but obviously the real estate market is um, centered around the education system and the schools. Um, And then from there, I just kind of had a friend who had access to the MLS website. And if you have a realtor or a friend who has access to the MLS, it's a really cool tool where, you can basically, it's like a shopping cart for whatever you want. Do you want two bedrooms? Do you want three bedrooms? Do you want four bedrooms? Do you want three baths? Do you want four baths? Do you want, you know, one bath? Do you want a two-car garage? Do you want a one-car garage? 
And you can just kind of, you know, tailor your search that way as to your basic requirements. And then also your price point. But first, everyone, you know, has to get pre-qualified. And that's a good starting point. But um, I just kind of, you know, I'm not sure the, the caller base, but I just kind of want to go back to maybe I'm 31 years old now. I kind of want to go back to the 21-year-old Senyo. And something my father always told me was that, you know, start saving for your first home, start saving for your first home. But I was young and dumb, and and I just really, you know, I was worried about the there and now. I was worried about the, the trips to Miami or the, or the um, you know, the lifestyle where you can just kind of just worry about what's coming up this week or what, what's coming up this month. And looking back, if I could have saved, you know, $50 a month or even, you know, uh, even $20 a month at 21 years old and just start saving towards the first down payment, not knowing where I would buy or where I'd even, what even city I'd land in. Um, that's something I wish I would have listened a little bit closer to him, but um, it's all about timing. What, what timing is right for you. That makes perfect sense. You know, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. You know, this thing called saving for a rainy day or just saving for a big purchase. That's kind of thrown a lot around a lot. Um, kind of you hear that from bankers or financial advisors, but in my personal opinion, nobody really goes into depth and say, "Hey, why do why is this so important for us to save? What are you trying to purchase in the future or to have that six month emergency cushion?" Um, I think you know when you're talking to young people, you really need to go into detail, not kind of throw out phrases that you just hear on TV all the time. So I definitely get your point, Senor. Question for you: Did you choose your realtor or? Did you select, you know, somebody off a website and you didn't know who they were? Did you have any type of relationship with them? Yeah, so funny story. Um, you want to choose your realtor very carefully. Uh, for me, it originally started, um, there was this modern home I really liked. I liked the style. It was unlike anything else in Charlotte. So I went to the open house. And the sales agent there uh, tried very, very hard to, to recognize if I had a realtor or not. And at that moment, I did not have one in writing or did not sign for one. And she wanted to become my realtor. But at the same time, I felt as though, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but she, she wanted to tout her experience here in Charlotte going back 20, 30 years. But she would say some very interesting things like, yeah, I lived downtown 20 years ago where it was ghetto and there was prostitutes and and crackheads running around, and now it's so much nicer. And I can understand the historical perspective she was trying to give me, but at the same time, I felt as though the tone in her voice about especially African-American communities or communities of color did not really match how I felt as an African-American male about Charlotte. And I felt like she was out of touch, and she just kind of saw dollar signs. At that point, I felt as though, some realtors try to sell you into homes that are currently listed through their other clients. So they get the double commission at this point. Once again, I just recommend just do what's best for you. Fill out your realtor. Um, I eventually gave uh, my business to a good friend to start out in real estate, maybe within the past two years, somebody who two years ago said, Hey, I want to go to real estate school. And I said, go for it. Something that he had no experience in. But I think the value of supporting your friends um, pays way more dividends than, you know, finding the top realtor who says they're the top realtor or who has the quote-unquote most experience within the market. 
And then from there, just do your research. Um, there's so much information available online to make informed decisions about certain parts of town, um, certain builders, read reviews. And uh, at the end of the day, your realtor is an advocate for you. And as a buyer, you don't have to pay them. The seller always pays for the for the realtor or the realtor's commissions. That makes sense. Which is something, no, I know which is something I did not know in the beginning. Oh, uh, just, just the last thing I was saying. That, that's something I did not know in the beginning. I thought as a buyer I would have to pay for my realtor. Um, as a first-time home buyer, it's just something I, I, was, I wasn't aware of. But the, the realtor is an advocate for you. So make sure it's a good fit for you. That makes sense. I'm glad you shared that with us. Um, so there's a lot of classes out there and courses for first-time home buyers. Did you, did you do any of those courses, or was it all just self-educated? Did your realtor kind of direct you to any time, like, type of courses that you should take? Um, so I guess long story short, I went with a new construction um, project, which is a townhome here in Charlotte, maybe 20 minutes from city center Charlotte. And I did my research on the organization, and they walked me from step, you know, step A to step Z as far as the process, uh, from the financing process, the background process, um, up until the closing process. So I, I, I personally did not invest any money in classes or courses other than, you know, doing my own individual research. But at the same time, I was confident that the builder that I was going with would not, you know, lead me down the dark path and would be fully transparent with me throughout the process. And any questions I had, they were there to answer. Um, I don't mind saying their names. Their name is uh, Mattamy Homes. They're actually a Canadian-based home builder company from Canada who's recently broken into the Charlotte market and to the U.S. market. So awesome. I have you know, nothing but great things to say about Mattamy Homes. Perfect. Hey, Senor, give me a couple of things that you wish you would have known before you entered into this process. Like there are some people listening right now who, man, I really want to purchase a home. I don't even know where to start. What are some things that you learned by going through this process that you can share with them? Yeah, so uh, depending on your profession, um, obviously you need to you know, prove that you are gainfully employed, whether it's through paycheck stubs or, you know, bank deposit statements, and that's just part of the standard home buying process. But something I wish I would have known is that uh, Donald Trump was going to be president, to be honest with you, because I started my home buying process in May of 2016, uh, put down my original earnest deposit, um, but not my full down payment. I ended up going with the FHA loan, which is a requirement of 3.5% down, which there are other government-backed programs or other private programs that, depending on your income level, can allow for a, you know, 0%, no money down option. So it just depends on which loan you go with. But I personally went with the FHA loan. And from there, the builder allowed me to put down half of the 3% as my earnest. And then in 30 days, put down the other half of the 3%. And then my closing costs, this builder put down 3% of the total price of the home to pay for my closing costs. So there's deals out there where your builder may pay for all of your closing costs. And I think my closing costs came in around 11 grand. So um, that was definitely helpful from the builder's aspect. But as soon as the election hit 
And just be careful if you're looking to buy during an election year. They say historically things change um, during election years, but the interest rate went up by one and a half percent almost. And with interest rates, you can only lock them in 30 to 40 days out from your closing date. So when I really started the process, interest rates around 2.75, 3%. I was watching it all year, pretty much stayed the same. And historically, that's very low compared to maybe the 80s or the 90s where they were in the teens or the high um, lower digits. So but as soon as Election Day hit, uh, interest rates basically went up and then I was forced to um, go with a higher rate than I originally budgeted, but there's nothing you can really do about that. That's just a, a learning experience. Um, also from that aspect, uh, just how much, if you go with a government back loan, um, how depending on the politics of government, how that can affect your interest rate and then also your PMI if you do not have a full 20% down. So that, that's something um, as a millennial, most millennials do not have 20% down to put on a home. So you are going to have to pay a PMI, which is basically a insurance premium in case you default on your loans. Makes sense. That's good information to know. Um, you know, one of the things we try to share on this show is just to be proactive. Whatever you're doing, whatever type of decision, whether you're purchasing a home, purchasing a car, a business loan, any type of financial decision you're making, you need to be proactive, do your research, go in there with a, a game plan, a plan of action, um, and, and have your questions ready. So what type of questions, um, and then we'll wrap up this segment, so, you know, what type of questions do you think that a person should prepare to ask that realtor um, in terms of how their relationship will work? What should they come to the table with? Yeah, um, definitely taxes. Uh, how this purchase of the home will affect your, your property taxes and um, how much of tax is actually being included into your mortgage payment or your escrow payment. Um, I think our tax system is very complicated, especially first-time home buyer. It can be somewhat confusing. So just kind of go into that knowing that, but at the same time understanding that you can um, learn something new about the tax code and how it can benefit you long-term down the line. Um, and hopefully your realtor can help assist with that. And also any warranty issues, uh, whether you're buying a pre-existing home or a new home, how long does your warranty last for, and the certain, um, the, just the certain things you should look out for as far as the maintenance of a home. Uh, a lot of people love a maintenance-free lifestyle, so instead of buying a single-family home with a yard, maybe a townhome with a higher HOA, would be more beneficial. So it all depends on your lifestyle, whether you're single, dating, married, kids, grandkids. You really have to do what fits your lifestyle. But I personally um, am very busy and don't want to have to cut the grass or water the lawn. So I don't mind paying a little bit more within my HOA than maybe other properties. Makes sense. Makes sense. Stay young. Thank you so much for joining the show today, man. I really appreciate it. I think you educated the listeners a lot. And one thing that I took away from this is just um, make sure you develop that relationship with your realtor. Make sure you go in understanding where you are right now in your lifestyle, like you mentioned work, your family, um, your aspirations of what you want to do. So, man, I really appreciate it. I think you gave a, a lot of good information. And, you know, I wish you much success. And thank you for joining the show, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ira.
No problem. You are watching or listening to I Talk Credit on the Cap Builder Network. That was Mr. Senio giving us some information about his home purchasing process. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to bring on another individual, Mr. Brandon Bullock. He's going to talk to us about his experience and his journey through purchasing a home. Both of these millennials, these young professionals, purchased a home this year. So this is relevant information. So stay tuned. We're going to bring Brandon on. After we get Brandon, we're going to hear from Deanna Turner. She's with iMortgage. Um, she's known as the Loan Barbie. She's going to give us information about pre-qualification, searching for homes, any information you can think of about the home purchasing process from her perspective. So stay tuned. You're listening to I Talk Credit, Cat Builder Network. I made the change from a common thief to up close and personal with Robin Leach. Yeah. And I'm far from cheap. I smoke smoke with my peeps all day. Spread love, it's the Brooklyn way. The Moet and Alizé keep me pissy. Girls used to diss me. Now they write letters because they miss me. I never thought it could happen, this rapping stuff. I was too used to packing eggs and stuff. Now honey, play me close like butter play toast. From the Mississippi down to the East Coast. Condos and queens in dough for weeks. Stole out seats to hear Biggie Small speak. Living life without fear. Putting five carrots in my baby girl ear. Lunches, brunches, interviews by the fool. Considered a fool, cause I dropped out of high school. Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood. And it's still all good, uh. And if you don't know, now you know. Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50 inch screen, money green, leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with the chauffeur. Phone bill about 2G flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. And my whole crew is lounging. Celebrating every day, no more public housing. Thinking back on my one room shack. Now my mom pimps the act with me on the back. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time my face is up in the source. We used to fuck when the landlord dissed us. No heat. Wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays was the worst days. Now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Uh, damn right, I like the life I live. Cause I went from negative to positive and it's all. And if you don't know, now you know, you know, you know. Welcome to the I Talk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. We just got through with our uh, talk about it segment. We brought on Mr. Simeo to talk about his home purchasing process and his experiences and what he went through, what he learned. Shared a lot of a lot of valuable information with us. So we're going to bring on another guest, Mr. Brandon Bullock from Cary, North Carolina. He's going to talk to us about his experiences too. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, Byron. How you doing today, man? Doing well, doing well, doing well tonight. Yeah, good, good. Well, again, I appreciate you joining the show and coming with some information that can help some of the viewers make smart, smarter decisions, basically. You know, I always say we want people to do better than what we did or if we did really good things following our footsteps, um, basically just learn from our experiences. So I appreciate you coming on this platform and sharing yours. So I guess tell us a little bit about yourself, Brandon, real quick. Okay. Um, as you stated previously, I'm another millennial 
and a first-time home buyer. I am recently married as well, so this was a unique purchase as it was a first purchase for me and my wife together. We were both first-time home builders. So that kind of added into the fun of purchasing a house together as well as we had another unique experience. We were planning a wedding at the same time. So combining all that together, it was a fun experience as well as at times a stressful one. Yeah, you you did three huge things at the same time. So you were planning a marriage when you got married, um, purchased a home, and you were planning a, a marriage ceremony. So that, those are huge, huge investments, huge things. Um, man, that, that, that's, that's, that's crazy. So as far as purchasing a home, where did you start? Like, did you start you coming to the situation knowing that you wanted to purchase a home, or was that something that you and your wife kind of sat down like, look, you know, we know we're getting married, we're going to have this ceremony, but this is very important for us to purchase a home. Like, where, the, where was the priority? in that decision? It was really coming down to when we were discussing our marriage and where we wanted to be and what we wanted to do, and the decision was made of let's purchase a home together and move into a house together. Um, So from there, we kind of narrowed down or made a list of items that we thought were most important to have. Um, We put that list together um, her wants as well as my wants, and we kind of prioritized them because you can always get everything you want in a house, but it might cost you. So we can the good the key thing to do is prioritize the items that you want. So you might have a one A, one B, or item one, item two, item three, and then we listed things that would be nice to have but not necessary. Um, Once we had that list together, we went out and started looking in the market in the area in terms of what types of homes were out there, what new construction was coming up, to find what matched us and if it was an area that would work for both of us. Makes sense. Did you have a personal relationship with your realtor or, you know, did you use one that you didn't know? We actually did not use a realtor. Um, We did not go that route in terms of working with a realtor. Um, A lot of the times with new construction, if you walk in the leasing agent or the sales agent at the uh, model home is the actual realtor themselves. Now, good or bad, are they going to tell you everything that you should know? You hope in good faith they do. That's part of being a realtor is that they're not going to misguide or mislead anybody in terms of a contract or selling. So we kind of went into that in good faith that we were – putting in that the person had our best interest at heart when we were looking to purchasing a home. Before you decided to do new construction, did you, like, look for um, – look at existing homes? Like, did you, um, you know, visit any homes that were already built, of course, and say, hey, we like this, we don't like this? How was that decision-making? Like, what led you to the decision to go new construction? We were pretty set on new construction because we wanted to have that design aspect. Being that we were getting newly married, we wanted to put something together ourselves and basically build it from the ground up. Um, There was the option to look at a pre-owned home, but when we looked back at it, we wanted to make this a memorable experience from the standpoint of this is something that we purchased together. We built this from the ground up. We designed everything inside the house. So that's what really dictated us to go with new construction. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
Um, you know, location, talk to me about, like, location and school. You guys are, are married now. Did you take into consideration or how much did, you know, hey, what type of schools around the area, um, how far is this from our job, what type of things did you sit and really think about other than, of course, the design and, and you actually purchasing a home, but what other things that you and your wife kind of talk about to say, hey, these things are important in a home, not only right now but long term. How did that discussion go for you? Schools didn't play a big option with us because we don't have any kids, but location did play a big option with us. Um, my wife travels for work in excess of up to 80 miles one way daily. So location was key in terms of where she would be and how far she would drive to and from work. Um, I do have flexibility with my job in which I get to work from home two to three times a week. So the move in terms of something that would be closer for her commute, which might make my commute longer, but being that I'm not traveling to work as much, factored in so we could kind of get something closer to her so it's more convenient for her. So location was our biggest factor in terms of when we were looking for a house. How is it going to affect her driving to you? That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 80, way, 80 miles one way, that's a long commute. That, that's a serious commute. That's a that's that's more than I would ever want to do. But she's a trooper and she handles it well. Awesome, makes sense. Um, talk to me about the closing process a little bit. I know that's something that I, I don't really hear a lot about that closing process. But I always hear from people that it's always a surprise. Like something always happens that you know that wasn't planned for, and you have to rearrange your life to kind of make sure you turn some document in or. Um, you provide them, you wire them some money. Talk to me about your closing experience. Was it business as usual, or did you have this big surprise? So our closing experience was actually very quick, smooth, and easy. And I will say from what I've heard from others is that all comes down to who your loan processor is and if they have everything in order prior to you closing. Um, I worked with a great loan processor through um Prime Lending, who literally had everything, all our paperwork already sent out to us. We knew what everything was going to be two weeks before we were closing. So we had seen all the documents. Um, we knew exactly how much money we needed to bring to the exact amount all the way down to closing to have a certified check for that amount. So everything was pretty smooth. Um, we went in there to the attorney's office. Uh, we signed a couple of documents that really took the bulk of the time initially in signing the documents and making sure you understood those documents. We handed the attorney the check, and he handed us our keys. We were in and out in literally 20 minutes. I've heard stories of people taking an hour, two hours or so or more just because everything's not in order when they go in into their closing meeting. So who your lender is or your loan officer is and making sure they have everything in order is a big key if you want to have a smooth and quick closing. Yeah, I've heard of horror stories. And for you to tell me 20 minutes, that's awesome because I believe, you know, there are probably some listeners terrified of going through that process because they've heard so many terrible stories about it. So just listening to this call, you know, everybody has their own experiences. Just because your friend went through a horrible home purchasing process doesn't mean you will too. I think one thing that I've heard from both you and Senio is just being prepared, choosing the right loan processor, the right realtor, and um, really just doing your, your background information on 
what kind of home you want, the location, what's important to you. So, so that's good. Hey, Brandon, tell me a couple of yep. things that if you had to talk to someone who's saying, hey, I'm going to go purchase a home or I'm interested, what would you tell them to kind of jog their mind or have them think about things or, or what to think about before they enter into this journey? What could you share with them from your experiences? A, create a budget. Um, create a budget in terms of what you would like to spend in terms of a monthly mortgage payment with taxes and homeowners insurance and whatever associated uh, money uh, that will come with that house. Once you have that budget in mind, you might want to go through a pre-authorization. You'll get that pre-authorization, and it could be for a lot more than what you budgeted. could be for less. So plan accordingly. Um, when we went through our pre-authorization, we got qualified for significantly more than what we even thought about spending. And just because you get qualified for a certain amount doesn't mean you need to spend up to that dollar amount. It's perfectly fine to spend half of what you get qualified for or less. You don't have to spend everything you get qualified for because all that's going to do is make your monthly mortgage payment a lot higher. So that would be my first bit of information or key piece of information is put a budget together and have that in mind and try to stay to that budget. The second piece of information I would have is, as I stated before, as we did, write down what your requirements are for the house or the items that are necessities, which you want in that house, and rank them. Put them in an order in which you can say, all right, this is the most uh, favorited item that I would like to have, and this may be least favorited or not as important. When you do that, that helps out the shopping experience or the buying experience in terms of finding a home to buy because you can kind of narrow homes down based on those qualifications, and it makes it a lot easier to when you go into a house or you go into a uh, sales office or model and you can say, hey, I'm looking for four bedrooms, three baths, three-car garage, whatever it may be. They can say, we have this floor plan available, this floor plan available, or we may not have any floor plans available that fit this. So you're not looking around as much. You can kind of narrow those things down and make your process a lot quicker when you're deciding on homes. Those would be my two big bits or tad bits in terms of someone that's out there newly looking to purchase a home. Hey, how involved were you in the new construction in terms of did you, you know, hey, I want this type of flooring. Um, of course, yeah, you're involved with the paint, but exactly how involved are you when somebody is building a home for you? Do you, you know, you pick out all the cabinets, the furniture as far as, you know, in the bathroom, but how much leeway do you actually have? So when we built our house, we had complete design. When I say that, we picked out this type of carpet, the color of the carpet, the type of the hardwood floors, the color of the hardwood floors. Um, do we want a three-inch wide plank or a five-inch wide plank? What color paint did we want on the walls? What type of bathtub do we want in the bathrooms? So we had a lot of leeway there in terms of construction. We had architectural pick. So I want a window here. I don't want a window there. So it was really a complete process in, where you, in which you build your own home from the ground up um, from a design aspect. And it's, it's really a cool, neat process because 
you see a empty land or lot that has nothing on it, and then you get to see it come into this house in which you've designed, and you just get to watch it be built from the ground up. It's a really neat process. Yeah, it sounds neat. You still got that new house smell, don't you? I, I try to keep it clean, so yes, we do have that new house smell, feel. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, you definitely gave me some things to think about, and some of the listeners who had heard of horrible experiences purchasing a home, I think you gave some people some hope um, and kind of, you know, lowered that fear of, oh, my God, this is going to be a terrible experience. I'm going to have so many surprises. It's just going to be awful. So I appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for joining the show, and you have a wonderful day, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was Mr. Brandon. He just gave us a lot of good information on his home buying experience. Everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own experiences, and, you know, don't be scared to enter into that project based on other people's experiences or what other people went through. Do your research. Um, talk to people. Form a relationship with someone. And go ahead in and, and, and go for that home that you want. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring on Miss Deanna Turner. So she's from iMortgage. She's known as the Lone Barbie. So she's been in the mortgage industry for years. She has a lot of good information, and she's going to talk to us about you know, what she currently does for her client. And, um, you know, possibly if you want to use her services, she's going to give you that information. So this is the iTalk Credit Radio Show. I'm your host, Ira Royal. We're giving real information in a very real way. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. What's your name? What's your sign? Soon as he buy that wine, I just creep up from behind and ask you what your interests are. Who you be with? Things to make you smile. What numbers to dial? You gonna be here for a while? I'm gonna call my crew. You gonna call your crew? We can rendezvous at the bar around two. Plans to leave, throw the keys to little seeds. Pull the truck up front and roll up the next one so we can see him on the way to the telly. Go fill my belly. A T-bone steak, cheese, eggs, and Welch's great. Conversate for a few, cause in a few we gon' do what we came to do, ain't that right, boo? True. Forget the telly, we just go to the crib and watch a movie in the jacuzzi, smoke while you do me. I love it when you pull me, nigga, Throw your hands in the air if you's a true Mortgage, again known as the Lone Barbie. She has over 10 years' experience in the mortgage industry. 
And so she's going to talk to us, and she's going to kind of give us a rundown from pre-fall to the searching for that home, developing a relationship with a realtor, um, closing, you know, and then the aftermath of the person is at home. You know, that's only one part of the journey. You have a whole other thing after you purchase a home. So, Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am doing wonderful, as a matter of fact. I've been busy. You know, uh, the market is ticking up, but uh, it's been good. That's always good. That's, that's great. That's great. So, first of all, I know you have over 10 years' experience in the mortgage industry. First, tell me, what attracted you to even want to start this role or, or you know, um, working into this industry? What, what, what's your passion? What started you down this road? Okay, well, first let me correct you, if I may. I actually have been in this industry for um, almost 20 years. I'm in my 19th year going on my 20th. Um, and prior to this, I was in the automotive industry for 12 years. Uh, part of that time I was in sales, but I was also a finance manager. And so I've kind of been selling money for quite a while. But I went through the home buying process 20 years ago. And I will tell you, at that time, I had moved to Atlanta from Washington, D.C., and the home prices in D.C. and the Maryland, Virginia area are quite a bit higher than they are here. So I had pretty much just kind of decided that it would probably be a long time before I would be able to buy anything because the prices were so much higher. Uh, back then, you didn't have some of the flexibility with loan programs and lower down payment parameters like you do now. And certainly, you know, credit criteria and things were higher. So when I uh, moved here, I actually had a colleague that transitioned from the automotive industry into the mortgage industry. And just out helping a friend look for a home, we found a house that he didn't like, but he asked me the question, well, had I thought about purchasing a home? You know, what was I paying for rent? And that was really the first time I thought about it. And when I tell you, I literally went into the process very ignorant about a lot of things. It was really this, this former colleague and friend that stepped me through the process and held my hand. We, we were a team. And that process was a pretty easy process, but I learned a lot. And I'm just a firm believer in, you got, you know, each one has to teach one. You got to reach back to help somebody else. And I really do believe in the dream of home ownership. And I just felt like, well, if I could do this, anybody could do this because I did not have any money saved up. I did not have perfect credit. I didn't have the big baller's budget. You know, I just wanted a cute little place. And I literally bought that first property that I saw, I did not shop around because what I saw, I liked. It was perfect for me with location and style. Um, it was also a new construction at the time, and I went for it. So since then, my passion has been to help buyers, not just first-time buyers, but buyers in general, you know, get what they want, you know, attain the dream, whatever that dream may be. So you may be a first-time buyer that never thought you'd be in a position to purchase, like some of my older senior citizen buyers that never, ever bought a home before. Or you might be that kid coming out of college and you're young and you think you're too young to buy and you're not thinking about anything other than having a good time and going on trips and stuff, you know. 
or you may be, you know, that, that family that is now downsizing. And so this is going to be a dream retirement home. You know, so whatever your dream is, I'm committed to helping you get there. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, when I think about the home buying experience, I don't even think about, like, retirees or senior citizens purchasing a home. My mind is on that first-time home buyer. And I appreciate you bringing up that, you know, those aren't the only people purchasing homes. There are a lot of other people in the market that are going through this process other than just, you know, first-time home buyers. So that's, that was interesting. I never thought about that. Well, we definitely need to remember that, on average, you'll probably own three or four houses in your lifetime. Because especially if you're starting out younger in this process, like so many millennials are, you know, you're purchasing a property at 20-something years old. At that time, you're not necessarily looking to get the biggest. You're just looking to get something that's, you know, affordable and is going to take care of your needs. And most of all, you're, you're being rather discerning because you're trying not to pay rent. And I'm a big fan of if you can rent, you should be able to purchase, okay? So if you can afford to pay $1,000 for rent, you should be able to pay $1,000 for your mortgage. So I applaud those that are starting out younger in life because I know I didn't purchase my first home until I was 30. And I'm seeing people buy homes at, you know, 18, 19, 20. It's, it's awesome. But people starting out earlier, you're going to have changes in your life. So you're single, so you might buy that townhouse like I did. But then your life changes. Let's say you get married. Then you outgrow this townhouse. Okay, then you start planning for a family. So now you need a bigger house. Then let's say your family expands some more. You might need an even bigger house. And then you stay in that house for a while, but then you get older, you get to maybe 50 or so, and now all of a sudden you don't want to walk up and down the stairs anymore. You really want a master on the main. You know, you really don't want a two-story home. Maybe you want a ranch. So, you know, you're, you're going to go up and down, you know, with the cycles of your life and that's oftentimes going to determine your needs, and those needs are what you're purchasing a home based upon. That makes sense. Dan, you mentioned if you can pay rent, then you should be able to get a home. Now, so what about some of the listeners that they want to purchase a home, right? I mean, they hear stories about that's a big part of the American dream. But they're in a credit situation, which we hear every day. Their credit is you know, mm-hmm. less than that number, that magical number that the, the lender says you need to purchase a home. Kind of speak to them or what options are out there for them to be able to, I guess, one, improve their credit, and two, understand that they can, too, purchase a home. Okay. Well, first of all, I can't speak for every lender, but I can speak for my lender. Um, I work for iMortgage, which is a division of the Loan Depot, and we are the second largest non-bank lender in the country. We are a mortgage company. And that is all we do. So as such, because we are a direct lender, meaning we lend our own money, and we are a servicer, so you make the payments to us, we basically control the decisions, and we're basically working within the guidelines without any extra overlays on top of the guidelines to make a decision. Now, in our instance, we're able to work with clients that have a credit score as low as a 580. That is extremely generous with FHA and VA buyers, extremely generous. A lot of lenders, and I would venture to even say the majority of lenders are going to be at a 620, in some cases even a 640. So oftentimes when a first-time purchaser is looking to purchase a home, 
ask those questions. Ask, okay, well, what is the lowest credit score that you can work with? You know, do you work for an actual lender that's lending their own money? Do you have any overlays? These are the types of things that can be a difference in whether you are approved or denied, believe it or not. Um, the other thing that I would say is you have to be prepared, okay? And I don't mean that you've got to be super organized, you've got to have a file for every little thing. What I mean is understand that regardless of what you've ever heard, you have to have some money to buy a house. There are a lot of first-time purchasers or people that I speak to that think they don't have to have a dime, and you do. So let's talk about that because really what you need to have at a minimum is money for your earnest money deposit, which is typically about 1% of the purchase price of your home. Now, you're going to negotiate with the seller, and I will tell you a seller wants as much earnest money as possible. They may accept less, but 1% is typically the industry standard. You want to have money to cover an inspection because the inspection is to protect your interest so that you know what you're buying. You know what the condition of the property is, and you know if there's anything that needs to be addressed before you transfer ownership from the seller to yourself. So you want to have those things known up front. That's going to cost maybe three, four, you know, $100. And then you need to have money for an appraisal. The lender has to have the property valued so they know whether to base your loan amount on the contract price or the appraised value. Whichever of those two values is the lowest is the one that we have to use. But we also want to make sure that the property, which is going to be our collateral, is in good condition, that it meets the codes for the type of loan that you're getting. So depending on the property, I would say you probably need to bank on having anywhere from maybe $2,000 to $3,000 bare minimum before you even get out there and, and get started in the process because those are things that you're going to have to pay for in very short order once you write a contract. I'm so glad you mentioned that because – I know people that literally don't think they can even enter into the process if they don't have tens of thousands of dollars. Like, I, I know I have to have, I keep hearing the 25%, but I know I have to have, you know, up to 25% down payment. Um, you know, I have to have all this money in the bank and reserves. And so I'm glad that you said that because some listeners are thinking, man, I have that. And, you know, I could potentially purchase some. I could be a homeowner too. So I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. Can we go over earnest money? So, Earnest money? What's the definition of earnest Yeah. Earnest money is basically a deposit that you are making in earnest, okay, because you're saying to this seller, I'm interested in your home. I want to purchase it. I want you to take my offer seriously. And should you take this offer, you can hold this deposit until such time we can close. So this will hold my interest in your property, and you'll take it off the market until we close. And that is a deposit, okay? So it's not like you give that money away and the seller is holding on to it. First and foremost, a good agent, and I will say a real estate professional because it's been my experience that not every realtor or every agent is a real estate professional, okay? Just like every lender that I know is not what I would say is necessarily a lending professional. So when you interview your agent, you know, make sure you're working with someone you feel comfortable with, but work with someone that is a professional. Now, your lending professional, same thing. Make sure you're working with someone that knows what they're doing, they've got plenty of experience, and you feel comfortable. But getting back to the realtor, your realtor should be holding 
that money, meaning that their brokerage should be holding your earnest money, not the seller, okay, or not the seller's agent per se. The reason I'm saying this is because what happens if you need to break the contract because let's say uh, the property, you know, has an inspection and you're not satisfied with the condition of the property and you decide that you don't want to move further in this process. You do not want to have a problem getting your earnest money back. So if your realtor negotiates the deal for you, then trust that your realtor's brokerage firm should hold that money in earnest for you, and that way it's protected. Is that an industry standard that the um, realtor holds the earnest money, or is that something that you just need to go in and put your foot down and say, hey, this is the way I want this to go? Well, in some cases, you may have the seller who wants their realtor and that realtor's brokerage to hold on to your money, okay? I keep emphasizing the word your. It's your money, and your realtor, being a real estate professional, the good ones that I've worked with that I know will always be looking to protect your interest. So they don't want someone else to hold on to your money. They want to hold on to your money. And that is something that when you're talking with your realtor, you know, you might want to make sure that that's the approach that you guys have agreed upon with regards to who's going to hold it. Makes sense. In your opinion, how important is it to you have a really good relationship with your realtor? I think it's extremely important that there is professionalism, there's experience, and there's trust. So when I talk about the relationship, I'm not talking about one that is necessarily this is my buddy, this is my friend, this is my family member, okay? Yes, I do think it's a great thing to support someone that you know that's in the business, but I'm looking at this from a business perspective. So I'm looking at who do I believe is the most adept at being able to protect my interests. And as long as I have a strong working relationship with them and I can trust that they know what they're doing and they've got, you know, experience behind them. You know, I'm not saying you've got to go out and find the top number one realtor in your market. I'm just saying be mindful of, you know, how much experience your realtor has. How do they communicate with you? And then take a look at the team because I look at this as a team. It's the realtor and the loan officer and yourself. So like your last name is Royal. If I was working with you right now, we'd be on Team Royal because everything that I do is for you. Everything that your realtor is doing is for you. The best relationship that I see is when the realtor and the loan officer have a good relationship because those two people are the ones on the front line fighting for you. So they need to be able to work together. They need to have excellent communication between them, and they need to keep you in the loop. So your job on the team is to be responsive and diligent and to provide whatever it is that that loan officer is asking you for or whatever the realtor is asking you to do or sign, being responsive and timely. Your realtor's responsibility is that contract and everything contractually, anything having to do with that property, the inspection, appraisal, all of that. And then my responsibility as your lender is to make sure that I'm looking out for your interest with regards to this process, moving it through smoothly, getting everything that I can up front so I'm not coming back to you later with a surprise, and then pulling it all together. 
as a lender, I have the most responsibility for all parties involved because if I don't come through with the loan, then you don't get to purchase your home. The seller doesn't get to sell their home and purchase the next home because that's what's typically happening with a domino effect. And the two realtors involved don't earn a living. So it's never about me. It's always about my client and the team and us pulling this together so that at the end we have a smooth closing and then everybody wins. That makes perfect sense. How would I know, say I'm a first-time home buyer, or not even a first-time home buyer, it's just someone who wants to purchase a home, how do I know that there's cohesiveness in that team, like that you communicate well with each other? What are some of the things that I can look out for and say, hey, this might be a good team to work with, or mm, maybe I should choose somebody else? Well, typically you're going to meet a realtor first. Um, you may uh, you may see a yard sign. You may see an open house sign. You may be online and see someone's listing. Um, you may go to, you know, a builder, for example, on site. At some point, it usually starts with someone finding or seeing a property that they had an interest in. And so at that point, you know, they're going to meet a realtor. In other cases, they may know a realtor. So at some point, they're going to express that they're interested in purchasing a home to a realtor. The realtor is usually going to have a couple of lending partners that they work with. Um, you know, in many cases, it might be two or three. And they will make a recommendation and say, hey, these are my lending partners. These are the people that I trust, that I work very well with. And so why don't you give one of these two or three people, and in some cases, they might only have one lender. You know, it might just be me. But whatever it is, you know, if you feel comfortable working with this realtor after you have talked with them, you've had a consultation, and you've decided this is the person I want to work with, this is the person I'm going to trust with this transaction, then whoever it is that they refer you to is typically someone that they have an excellent relationship with already. And so it's a warm transfer of the trust and faith that you have in them that they are, you know, turning over or transferring over to the loan officer. So when they make that referral to the loan officer and you call the loan officer or the loan officer calls you, that same kind of consultation that you had with the realtor before you selected them to work with is the same sort of conversation you should have with them. Now, I'm a talker, so I do a lot of explaining because I really want you to understand that I am your advocate. One of the previous uh, guests said something about um, the realtor should be your advocate. Well, everybody in the transaction should be your advocate. We should all be working with your best interest at heart. So if you don't get that feeling after you speak with the first lender, then try the next one. You know, I'm sure they're going to give you more than one. But at some point, you're going to find that lender and you're going to feel comfortable with that person. And hopefully, you know, it will be someone that the realtor referred. I, I find that those relationships work the best because it really is a team at that point. You know, these two people work hard together. They ride hard for their clients. You're the client. They're going to ride real hard for you. And they ride hard okay. for each other. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a mutual relationship that they have. I mean, that lender wants to make sure that their advocate or treat that, you know, purchaser well because you have a relationship with the realtor, right? Did I say that right? Like, they want to make sure that exactly. they continue that warm relationship. Exactly. Hmm. So I consider myself to be an extension of the realtor. 
You know, I, the realtor is on the front line. I'm kind of in the background, but I support the realtor's efforts. I make the realtor look good because that is really the person that you have the most contact with. Even if you, you know, I could have a conversation with my client and invariably as soon as I hang up with the client, the client's going to call the realtor. So when I go back to talking about Team Royal, okay, if you're the client, I'm going to communicate with the realtor probably before I communicate with you. Because what I want to make sure is happening is that anything that's being communicated to you is information that your realtor already has. And that way, if your client, you know, if, if you in this example go back to your realtor and say, you know what, I just got a call from Deanna and she said this, you're not in the dark as the realtor. And the realtor is able to reaffirm what it is that I've already explained to you because you may be questioning that and you might need your realtor to say, you know what, it's okay, what she said is correct, you know, we talked about it also, you know, because we're trying to kind of like wrap our arms around you to make you feel comfortable with a process that you don't do every off, you know, every, every day. You don't do this very often. So there's a lot you don't know, and there's a lot of trust there that you have to extend us when we want to make sure that you feel comfortable. So what I say and what the realtors say, we need to convey the same message at all times. That makes sense. What, how important is it to be pre-qualified before you even talk to a realtor? I hear some people say it's very important, but then I think to what you said, Deanna, that your company, iMortgage, you'll accept, you know, a 580. Now, if you get pre-qualified on Correct. a random website, will they look for that? I mean, will, will you get turned down and you don't even know you can get a loan through iMortgage? <laughs> That's a good question. First and foremost, I'll be the first to say, and I'm not – I'm not throwing any shade on anybody, but I am not a fan of applying for anything like something as important as this online. I don't understand when there are mortgage companies and banks in your market where there are people you can talk to or even someone you can meet in person why anybody would go online and apply for a mortgage. The biggest reason why is because there are some things that we look at a little bit differently. So I'll give you an example of something that trips people up a lot, okay? So I know millennials really like to do a lot of stuff online. They really like to do things quickly, so they don't necessarily have the time to go in and meet with someone. That's cool. I am a virtual loan officer. I get things done faster if you apply on my website at my page online, so I get your application, and that if you send me the information that I need at a minimum, that it comes directly to me. I can work faster that way and give you more answers more quickly that way. But if you go onto a website and you're just the average client, let's just say that where it's asking you for your income. Okay, well, you may shortchange yourself because we work with your gross income. We don't work with your net, okay? So what invariably happens is that a client will say, well, I, I bring home this much a month, and that's the income that they'll put in. They won't put their gross income in, so now they've understated their income, okay? Another thing that also happens is you may have a client that has a primary source of employment, so they have a primary job, and maybe they just started working a part-time job six months ago. Well, they may decide they're going to add these two incomes together. Okay, I make this much from this job, and I make this much from that job. But what they don't know is unless you have had your second job for two years or you have a history of working jobs on the side for the last two years or more, 
we can't count that as income. So now this is an instance where you may have overstated your income. So the point I'm making is it's always better to speak with someone, have the conversation. And as far as a prequalification, I don't work off of a prequalification because a prequalification means you told somebody something or you gave someone some information, but there was no documentation to support what you said or what you gave them. So basically, if you just filled out an application online or you just filled out a paper application and then they pulled your credit, they're going by what you're telling them you make and your credit score. That might be enough to get you declined, okay? But if you speak with someone and they direct you to their, their website where you can complete an application or they send you an application, but then they also say, send me your W-2s your pay stubs, your bank statements, and your ID, then those people will take the time to analyze all of the data. And when they can confirm what your actual income is, they can confirm your debt, they can confirm your debt to income, and then the number one question that I ask is, what is your desired monthly payment? Because it's not about pre-approving you for the most that you could pre-approve or, or the most you could get pre-approved for. It's about pre-approving you for as much as you want to spend. So I don't go over that number. So I work within the parameters that you give me, and then I'm working to get that loan pre-approved. So I'm going to get the data, and I'm going to input that data into what we call an automated underwriting System. And this is the system that our underwriters actually use. So it's kind of like junk in, junk out. If you've got bad information going in, you're going to get a false positive in some cases, or you're going to get a decline. So if I have all of the data, I put everything in, I merge it into the application, I access your credit, and I pull all that into, I complete your application, and I run it through, and I get my findings. And based upon those findings, then I'm able to give you a pre-approval letter. And that letter is solid for 120 days because your credit report that I've pulled from all three of the credit bureaus is good for 120 days. So I'm not going to pull your credit anymore. That's it. And then you're able to go out there with full knowledge of what you qualify for, knowing that it's within the payment range that you told me was your maximum, you know how much money you need, but we've already had that whole discussion. So you're completely prepared. I'm completely prepared because I have a complete application with documentation to support it. So now the only thing I'm waiting for from you is a contract. And then that rolls into the full underwriting process where we do verifications, we process the loan, we order the title report, we order the appraisal, and once all of these things come together, we ultimately are going to closing. Man, that's, you make it sound so easy, and I appreciate that about you because, again, there are people listening who are just terrified, one, because they don't have any experience or nobody has really sat them down um, and talked to them about the process. Like you mentioned, maybe they're getting all their information from some type of automated tool online who's just saying, hey, how much income do you make, what's your credit, and spit out some type of number. So I really appreciate that mm -hmm. you sit down with people and walk them through that process because this is one of the most important purchases a person will probably ever make in their life. It probably is. It's probably the single most important purchase. 
you know, that they're ever going to make, you know. But I also believe that I'm sowing a seed into people's lives, okay, especially if you're a young couple or a young person. You know, you're, you're, you, this is something that is going to have an effect on them moving forward, okay. You can't be a change agent. You can't have, you know, it's like you have to be invested to be able to make change. So if you're not invested in your community, do you really have a say in what's going on in your community? You really don't. And I really do believe that I owe it, not just to me, but I owe it, you know, as far as my passion is, and I owe it, quite honestly, to my God to do what I can to help people get to that next step in their lives and to sow a seed that's going to then sprout a big tree. You know, because you don't know what that, what that difference is going to be for a family. Maybe you're moving them out of a, a bad situation into a better neighborhood, into better schools for their kids and better opportunities. That's what a house can represent for a lot of people. So you don't know what the impact is that this one purchase can make in someone's life. It's a stepping stone, and I, I just take it very seriously. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can hear the passion in your voice, and, you know, we need more people like you that are out here who's just telling people, hey, you can do it. You can, and that's what this show is all about, motivating, inspiring people that no matter what stage of life you're in, you know, do the research and get in the game because you too can reach your goals. I appreciate you standing on that. If there was a couple of things that you could just tell these listeners who they're on the fence, you know, they're hearing you talk about credit. They're hearing you talk about earnest money, and, and you can own your own home. What's the first step? What would you tell them, hey, look, do this. At least do this, and we can, you can start that journey. What's the first step? Speak with a lending professional. I hear so many people tell me, well, I want to fix my credit, or I've been working on my credit. Let me explain that there are things that we're not concerned about on your credit that you may think is a big deal, okay? An example of that would be medical collections. I've had a number of clients who have had medical collections and thought that, oh, my gosh, I need to pay off all of these collections. Well, guess what? On an FHA loan, I don't care about those. So before you pay anybody anything as it relates to anything that's concerning you on your credit report, Speak with a lender and let that lender take a look at your credit because we're looking at it specifically with regards to a mortgage transaction and there are things that we do count and there are things that we don't and there are things we can work around, but we need to see where you're at. So I'm really, really serious about meeting my client where they are. It's a no-judgment zone. So like I said in the very beginning, I was a first-time purchaser also. I didn't have perfect credit. I don't claim to have perfect credit right now. Life happens. I don't sit in judgment of anybody's situation, but I generally believe that if there is a will, there is a way. And because I believe that, it doesn't mean that your dream is deferred. You know, excuse me. It doesn't mean that your dream is denied. It means that your dream might just be deferred. Maybe we need to do a little bit of homework. So start with the lender first and let the lender tell you what you need to address. Then from there, make sure you have the basics. We're going to ask you for a copy of your driver's license. We're going to ask you for a social security card, bank statements for the last statement period, the last two statement periods with all of the pages, because your pages are numbered, so we want them all in chronological order. We want your um, W-2s, 
okay? Unless you are a self-employed person, I don't need to see your tax returns. So I'm going to ask you for a pay stub, bank statements, W-2, Social Security card, and a driver's license. I'm going to ask you to make an application, and I'm going to take a look at your credit. That is the very basics of where we are. Make sure that you have that minimum amount of money to get started. You may qualify for a down payment assistance program. Even if you do, you still need to have that money for your earnest money, for your inspection, and for your appraisal. So don't think that because there's a down payment assistance program available that you don't need any money, because you do. And those programs are for exactly what they say, down payment assistance. Sometimes you get a little bit more, and you can kind of use that towards closing costs, but there is no law that says a seller has to pay all or any of your closing costs. That's what you're negotiating when you make your offer. So sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. So, again, you need to have money of your own just in case. You might have to put down down payment. You may not qualify for a program. You may have to cover some closing costs. You may have to pay it all. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind. You can use a 401K. You can get a gift from family members. You can use savings and checking, you know, so there's things that we can do to kind of help you structure something that would work for you. Lastly, let me just say that you need to work with a realtor. I've heard both of the two other guests talk about how they went and they purchased new construction and they worked with the realtor that worked for the builder. The realtor that works for the builder may work with you, but they do not represent you. They represent the builder. Also understand that the builder has a contract that is specific to the builder. So again, unless you have your own realtor, there are things that may be written into that contract, like a per diem, that you don't necessarily know about, and I can't say that the on-site agent is going to point out to you. So a per diem is a penalty where if you don't close on time, doesn't matter what the reason is in some cases, but if you don't close on time, they will charge you a set fee per day until you do. I've seen those fees be $100 and $200 a day. So it's oh, wow. very important. Yes, it is extremely important that you have your own realtor. And like both of those other two gentlemen said, the realtor works for you. But by virtue of the fact that they are bringing a qualified, pre-approved buyer to the seller, be that seller, the seller of an existing property or a builder, that's the person that pays them the commission, not you. So make your list of the things that you got to have and the things that you could compromise on and be open because sometimes what you think you want is not what you always wind up buying because you see something that you hadn't thought about. So just be open to everything and keep in mind the things that you said you really want and are most important. And then those other things, you know, are things you can potentially compromise on because it doesn't matter what your budget is. I have yet to meet one person in 20 years, including myself, that has the exact home with exactly everything the way they wanted it, everything. Wow. 
listeners, I don't care whatever stage of life you are in, you, Deanna, you just motivated me. Like, please call her. How can we get in touch with you? If someone wants to purchase a home or just has questions or, you know, hey, I, I don't know if I can do it, but I just want to talk to her, how can they get in touch with you? Okay. Well, first, let me tell you that I am licensed in the state of Georgia, but my company is nationwide, and we do have some offices in uh, Charlotte. I heard the two other gentlemen were from Charlotte. So no matter where you are, we can always have the conversation, and then if I need to refer you to a colleague, I can do that. But um, my phone is on 24-7. Literally, it is on when it's in the charger, and that phone number is 404-964-2683. My email address is Deanna, so D-E-A-N-N-A dot Turner at imortgage.com. And um, if they are so interested in making an application and they want me to take a look at it, and then I can follow up with them upon receipt, they can go to uh, my website, which is imortgage.com forward slash Deanna dot Turner. And there they will find uh, a brief little bio about me. They'll see who I am, and then they'll be able to apply just by clicking on a little button. That information will flood into my phone, so I will know it's there. And my SLA, and I know you remember what an SLA is. An SLA is a service level agreement. (laughs) My service level agreement to my clients is within 24 hours. So I'm typically a lot faster than that. But within 24 hours is when you would get a response from me, and I will call you, and we can discuss whatever the scenario is from there. That's awesome. That's amazing. Listeners, everybody who's tuning in right now, you know, you just heard it from Deanna. You can do it. You can purchase your first home. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Don't let credit stop you. And I'll be honest with you, Deanna, for me, I always thought, Credit was the first thing that you needed to get right. I, I've always felt that you didn't even need to have the conversation until your credit was right. But, you know, you've even educated me and kind of woke me up and saying, hey, you need to sit down and talk with somebody. They might can look at your credit score and all your anxiety and worries are things that you need, shouldn't even be worried about in the first place. So I encourage everybody who's listening to at least talk to somebody, have that discussion, um, and so you know where you are instead of just making assumptions. Again, I definitely uh, – I'm a victim of that. Like, I have a lot of assumptions. Um, so please reach out to Deanna. You know, whether she can help you or not, at least she can point you in the right direction. Deanna, thank you so much for joining the show. I appreciate it. And I hope this is not your last time. I would love to have you back. Um, maybe sometime you can take questions from the audience because I know they have a lot of questions and concerns. So I appreciate you joining us today. Well, I, I really – I was very surprised and, and – just thankful that you even invited me. So thank you. The pleasure was mine. Um, If I might add one thing for everybody, just know that your dream can come. It can come together. You just at some point in time have to trust someone to help you because you're not going to be able to do it 100% by yourself. So if you will just trust that there are professionals out here like myself that are able and willing you know, let us have that opportunity. We will work with you from point A to point B. I've worked with clients for as long as two years to get them to the point where they were able to buy. It can happen, but you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere. Awesome. Great. You just laid it on us. I, I'm, I feel heavy right now, you know, just kind of thinking about 
some of my experiences and things that I've kind of said. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and you're definitely going to be back on the show. I'm going to request that you come back on at your leisure, so I appreciate it. Okay, will do. I'm happy to do it. Awesome. All right. Thanks again. That was Miss Deanna Taylor, um, Turner, I'm sorry, from iMortgage. Man, 19 years of experience and just at the end of the day service, just helping people reach their goals and, and, and accomplish their, their dreams. That's amazing, you know. And, I, again, like I just stated, I'll be honest, you know, I've always thought that the first thing you need to do is get your credit in order. So this was a complete wake-up call for me because I've been in the industry for a long time and um, well, in, in financial services, or, or that is. And, you know, I kind of have my preconceived notions of things that you need to do. So, hey, if you're listening to this, don't listen to anybody who thinks they know something. Go talk to a, 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 a realtor. Go talk to somebody like Deanna that can sit you down, give you valuable information, and start you on that road um, to possibly purchasing your first home. Or even if this is your second or third home, you owe that to yourself to at least have the conversation. So, um, man, great show today. I really appreciate everybody from for tuning in and joining and supporting this this movement. You know, we're here every Thursday at 7 p.m. making sure that you have valuable information to reach your goals, to be proactive about your financial lifestyle. You know, we always say on here it's about being aware, it's about your behavior, and it's about your commitment to your financial lifestyle. So it's not just about that score. That's what the whole death to the score movement is about, more than just those three numbers. What are you doing on a day-to-day basis? What are you speaking into the universe? How are you educating yourself? What are you doing to leave behind a legacy? So, again, every Thursday, 7 p.m., Cap Builder Network. My name is Ira Royal. Please join in. If you want to be a guest, go to www.italkcredit.com. You can submit that there. I would love to have you on the show to share what you're doing in the community or how you can be an influence to other people. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Have a wonderful night.